And we're live. Welcome to the Mindkey Show podcast. Hamish did not know I was going to do that. <laughs> and uh, today we have with us Hamish Knox, owner of Sandler Training Calgary. Now, Sandler is fantastic at sales. I don't think very good at marketing. So nobody seems to know what Sandler Training is. Mm -hmm. uh, Sandler Training is around the world. And tell me what Sandler Training is. You're a better job of it than I can. Well, thanks, Mark. So short, short version, Sandler is involved in two primary areas. One is we support our clients in creating consistent, repeatable, scalable sales engines for their business and everything that goes into that from people and processes. And then from an individual perspective, we support our clients in having more effective human-to-human -human interactions, whether that's personally or professionally. So uh, under the label of sales training, which Sandler is so much more than, mm -hmm. uh, what's the biggest misconception out there about sales training in general? That it can happen overnight. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, hu human beings are not light switches. Uh, you can't shove someone in a room for an hour or a weekend or a day or, or even you know a few weeks and say hey you're you're changed because human beings aren't wired that way so with any sort of personal professional development it's how are you doing ongoing reinforcement and development over time and and being accountable whether that's to yourself or whether that's someone who's supporting you uh, with your learning and development along the way I just saw a stat that said 90% of all self-study courses, online courses that are signed up for are abandoned before completion. Right. And now why is that? Just a lack of engagement or? Lack of engagement and, uh, and lack of accountability really when it comes down to it because, mm -hmm. you know, once the, uh, you know, the, the online universities are the, are the example that I, I was reading about and one of the things that the author said is, you know, once they've got your money, well, they've got your money. Yes. Yeah, so, now, now, what's what's in it for them to to do anything above and beyond? Exactly, because there's someone else who's going to be coming in and and buying another course from them the next minute, the next day, whatever. Now, Sandler is different than others because it's not a course; it's a membership. Yeah, uh, is that how you would word it? Yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a learning and development one a group. One of my clients calls it AA for salespeople. Um, you know. That's their words, not mine. But yeah, it's it's a uh, it's an ongoing development uh, and support group for sales leadership, customer service, really anyone who is touching a client or a prospect inside an organization. What's the longest you've ever had somebody um, uh, show up? Because it's a big commitment. It's once a week for a couple hours. Yep. And what's the longest? Uh, I once met a, a guy in Baltimore actually, yeah. and he had been a Sandler member i guess or student for like 10 years 10 wow. years of once a week just to keep the saw sharp wow and then and then he transitioned uh, he said you know if i'm gonna do this and then he uh, became a sandler associate wow and uh, uh what's the longest you've ever had anybody in your room uh so in my room we've got a client who's coming up on six years uh, but I've actually done some guest facilitation, oddly enough, in Baltimore for a colleague of mine. Okay. And there were two people in the room. One was 18 years. Wow. And one was 30 years. They had actually been trained by David Sandler before he passed. No. And they keep what keeps them coming back? So I asked them that because I'm thinking, like, <laughs> okay, guys, this that, is a big that, commitment. That's a lot of Sandler. What, what's going on here? Like, you could yeah. probably teach this <laughs> stuff. And, and, and both of them are like, yeah, we could. But what keeps us coming back is you know, the, the accountability from the commitment, right? They expect us to show up every week and they're gonna ask us how we're doing in terms of our, our prospecting and selling client development. But also 
it's the room. And like the, the gentleman who had been there for 30 years, he said, I've met hundreds, if not thousands of people, some of whom are very good friends of mine, some of whom have become clients, some of whom have become referral partners. And some of them are people who I can call up and say, hey, I'm having a bad day or I'm looking for a little bit of support with this. <coughs> I know you're an expert in that area. Can you help me out? Right. And that's, um, I mean, even as, because uh, I'm a former trainer, right? and I did it for a year and a half, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and what a life-changing thing. What I've retained is the skills, but I don't use the system anymore mm. because I'm not sharp with it, because I'm not in your room once a week <laughs> uh, getting beat upside the head with, with one of your books. Gently. Gently. G- g- gently. Yeah. Well, well you, you are a kickboxer, so maybe it's not always gently. Every now and then. It depends, you know. I'm only a danger to myself. Really. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, uh, I mean, I, I can understand the wisdom, for sure, of mm-hmm. uh, signing up. And I guess that's why we get a, or I say we, I haven't been here for a while, but mm-hmm. um, why Sandler gets accused of being a cult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And yeah. Every, every now and then, uh, typically that's very technical people who, uh, uh, who, who think that sales is, you know, you just go sell stuff, right? Yeah. Hey, I built, I built a better mousetrap. Why aren't you buying it from me? Well, because people don't care. They care about solving their problems. Uh, could you speak to the um, trap that people get into uh, because they have a master's degree or a doctorate? Sure. Uh, I saw this in um, uh, your your shirt part colleagues' room, mm. and there'd be uh, very very educated dudes mm-hmm. in psychology and sociology and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, even Chad made the mistake, mm. from my, from my opinion, of going, "Well, they got all these degrees, so the, all they need is uh, the basic boot camp." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the ten weeks, and then you know, what am I going to teach him? Was sure. what was the self-limiting belief? Right. Um, uh, and and then I ended up working with one of these highly educated people mm. who couldn't do any of it, mm-hmm. um, and and relied on me and said, "But I taught you this personally myself. <laughs> you know, do you not remember any of it? Absolutely. So, uh, do you think that that's a, a mistake to rely on uh, your your PhD when you're coming to Sandler? Like, what's yeah, well, we we overvalue we overvalue letters, um, and that's starting to change. I saw a headline on LinkedIn a few weeks ago about how you know the MBA is losing its luster a little bit. Uh, but you know what what we focus on at Sandler is human to human interactions, behavior change, and real data, which is the opposite of the way a lot of organizations, especially selling organizations, the selling side of the business has has grown up. And, and so what you, you know, your question had a lot of layers and one of those layers is assuming that because they have some sort of an elevated degree, they have the human to human skills Mm -hmm. and usually they don't. Uh, And usually the individuals who come in with those human to human skills, whether they have an advanced degree or they just learn from the school of the streets, they, they tend to, they tend to have those skills through a lot of pain. And they've stumbled and skinned their knee a number of times. And a lot of the very highly educated clients, and we love working with technical clients because they're process oriented and we're all about process. But what we forget is we have these squishy emotional creatures in our organizations called human beings. And human beings are not light switches and they're not robots. So we can't just say thou shalt do this or you shall uh, do that and expect them to continue to be motivated over time. It just doesn't work that way. Are you familiar with the backwards bicycle? Yes. And uh, it really makes me think of that analogy. Um, and for the viewers, if, if anybody doesn't know, 
there's this, I don't know if he's a university professor or who he was, but a uh, social scientist anyway. Yeah. And he got a bicycle and he had it set up with a little extra gear at, at the steering wheel. And if you turn it right, it goes left. If you turn it left, it goes right. Well, you don't need a PhD to understand this. Mm-hmm. And yet you'd go to universities, so higher education places after right. university, and you go on stage after stage, and you'd would um, have a line, and then 10 feet uh, over, be another line. And he says, 100 bucks, you'd have a $100 bill. And anybody that can get 10 feet on them, <laughs> and everybody thinks they can do it. Totally. Because cognitively, they get it. Right. Well, I just go left to go right and right to go left. I just, I just, I'll just flip it in my brain. Right. I understand how to do this. Right. And what he found is that nobody could do it. Right. Uh, even though you understood it, you couldn't perform it. Right. And uh, uh, so he said, okay, well, how much does it take before I can do this? Right. And uh, what he, so he did 20 minutes a day, every single day for 10 months, if I recall correctly, wow. 10 months, before his brain flipped and then he could do it. And right. he and he himself, could, cause he couldn't ride a bike either. Mm-hmm. But his son who was doing the same thing cause neuroplasticity mm-hmm. was able to do it earlier. Right. And uh, so he, he learned much, much quicker. Um, uh, and his son could still ride a conventional bike. He could flip back and forth cause mm-hmm. of neuroplasticity. But the, um, uh, the, the social scientist gets on a regular bike can't do it because <laughs> his brain is flipped now of course you know and i i think that's uh like sandler i've been mm-hmm. out for a while but i can't communicate the way i used to right i can't because my brain has flipped right uh but that's how much work it takes yeah. before your brain actually makes because i mean you understand it very quickly very easily absolutely it's not a giant intellectual challenge to understand right. it but to be able to do it mm-hmm. it takes time commitment and uh, would you say that's a good analogy for Sandler? Very good analogy. You know, I, my clients here regularly, the hardest four inches to move in your life is your brain and your mouth. And <laughs> you just illustrate, you know, we can have all the knowledge in the world, right? We yeah. can go to a seminar, we can read a book, we can watch a YouTube video or whatever. But if in the moment we can't act or we can't get the words from our brain to our mouth, all that knowledge is useless. So it's really about how do you apply that knowledge and then eventually develop a skill in using that knowledge and then finally make the knowledge habit. You know, when I started uh, in Sandler, before I started in Sandler, I went through the material three times, front to back, right. listened to all of the all of the tracks, all of that, uh, because I really wanted to get it in my head. And a client of mine, actually my very first client ever, uh, as a friend of mine said, you know, I used to be able to tell when you were doing Sandler to me, because I could see the switch flip. Yeah. Now I can't tell. And I said, well, I appreciate that because that's really Sandler's a conversational model built on a series of mutual agreements. Yeah. So another talk track for my clients is if it doesn't sound conversational, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. I was at uh, prospecting at a trade show once Mm -hmm. and Chad, the other Sandler trainer, um, uh, walked up and goes, what are you doing? You're supposed to be working. While I was in the middle of a conversation. And later go, Chad, I was in the middle of a sales call. He says, it sounded like you're just having a conversation. Mm -hmm. I said, thank you. Right. <laughs> right. The thing that we teach our clients. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, whoops. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. But it also illustrates, you know, we're all human, right? Yeah. And we all make mistakes. And that's yeah. that's the other side of of our work with our clients is, you know, I believe anyways, and this is, you know, uh, is a Hamish belief, you know, everyone's a good person, they may be a, but they may be a bad fit for the role. Yeah. Doesn't make them a bad person, just makes them a bad fit. And 
can anyone learn this? Absolutely they can, but are they committed to doing it? Are they committed to actually going out and learning it? Or are they just having a two hour mental vacation in my room every week and then going out and just continuing to do what is not successful, but they're stumbling their way to success because every now and then the blind squirrel finds the nut. Yeah. Yeah. And it does take, uh, just at uh, the Business Association, I, I did a, a very short micro workshop mm. at the end of another presentation. And I basically was teaching our cold call script, nice. uh, but to use it as a marketing uh, message. Cool. You know, and uh, everybody got it cognitively. Not one person could do it when they pulled out the camera on their phone. Yeah. And nobody is like, well, I did it right. <laughs> <laughs> let's back up. Yeah. yeah let's, let's Still love up. you. Back up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but that's because it's uh, there is no silver bullet. No, you there's no the magic bullets. Well, it's asking somebody how we communicate. We've been doing our whole lives, right, um, forever, and we do it unconsciously without thinking. Mm -hmm. So, what's more like riding a bike than how we communicate? Totally. So, flipping how you communicate is—it's a big ask, mm -hmm. and it does not happen without a big commitment. Right. It just can't doesn't matter how much you understand it right. uh, I don't know too many people that can just deliver it because they read it in, in, in one of the Sandler books not at all and and also it's a level of success right most of our clients are very very successful before we start working with them but they say to themselves you know I'm awesome but I bet I could be more awesome if I have a third-party support now we're not a good fit for everybody yeah but they at least have that mindset of growth and development or continual growth and development and where companies often falter is the CEO, owner, president gets to a certain level and now they're in a comfort zone. I've been out since uh, 2013, I think, mm -hmm. of Sandler. And um, I still get calls from, yeah. all, from all clients asking for some advice on how to deal with this situation. Wow. And people think it's sales. What they don't understand is if you are trying to connect with another human being, that's a sale. Right. If you're trying to get employee compliance, that's a sale. If you're trying to get everybody to wash the trucks before they bring it back to the bay, that's a sale. Totally. And um, so I still get the phone calls. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, we have this different difficult situation. Uh, not sure how to address it mm -hmm. uh, so that I don't uh, ruffle feathers and right. then, so that it's effective, uh, but doesn't crush anybody. Totally. And so then we go through and, and, and because I can always fall back to Sandler, I know the process. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, that's, that's coaching that, is is fun to do yeah you know i do miss that part of, of being in you know in the in this world for sure Very cool. so you've been here for seven and a half years give yeah. or take a little coming bit up. coming up eight um how did you fall into sadler like how <laughs> did you hear about it or trip across it so uh i was in montreal for meeting so i used to work for for a company called canada newswire and i had a couple of roles there but the role that got me to montreal was i was their product specialist for a software service platform for media monitoring crisis management mm -hmm. and canada newswire bought the company which was based in ottawa that essentially ran the engine that was the the real critical feature of of the platform so we were in montreal for integration meetings and we were uh, we were staying at Germain, downtown montreal sleeping rough and my manager who uh lives in in vancouver 
he and I decided randomly decided to have dinner at the same Portuguese restaurant. So I had been referred there. He was walking along and said, ah, yeah, Portuguese food sounds good. So I walked in and uh, I said, table for one. Or, and they said, go sit at the bar loser or something in French. <laughs> and uh, I look up and there's, there's my boss. And uh, I hadn't seen him in a really long time. He's a very good friend to this day and a mentor of mine. So I'm all pumped and excited and I'm telling him all about what I've been doing. And he stops me and he says, have you ever heard of Sandler? And I said, no. And he said, it's really how you think and talk and act. I said, thanks, I think. And he's ex Bell, Rogers, Xerox, IBM, CBRE. Like he's done training. All the classic all training. All sorts, right? Yeah. And uh, that night, and I, I had started a sales training company off the side of my desk and wasn't really going anywhere. Uh, but that night I couldn't sleep. I had massive jet lag. So I got up and I just Googled like, what, okay, what is this Sandler thing? And found an article by my colleague, Bill Bartlett out of Chicago. And it was like, I walked into a church and God spoke to me. Oh, and I was right? like, how do I get more of this stuff? And so I filled in the form, uh, the contact us form. And uh, my wife gave up a trip to uh, Vegas over Thanksgiving of that year to go to Baltimore in November uh, wow. for what they call Discovery Day, which is so you want to be a Sandler trainer. Mm -hmm. And uh, the following uh, day, of course, I didn't tell Canada Newswire I was going to look at another <laughs> at a franchise. And I uh, got back and six o'clock on the Monday morning after I got back, uh, our CEO sent out an email that they had adopted a different sales training program. So I was back on Montreal uh, two weeks later uh, on an airplane, uh, speed reading, You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar, which is David Sandler's book. With the world's longest title. With the world's longest title. Yeah. So I could get that in my head. Uh, and then I had a three-day three mental vacation in Montreal. Uh, it was good training, um, but I was already committed to the Sandler process. Yeah. You already drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah, so I signed the papers in January 1 of the following year because I thought it was symbolic. And uh, the day that I flew to Baltimore, landed in Baltimore for initial training, was the day that uh, bin Laden was killed. Wow. Yeah, so... That's a day you don't forget. I will remember, you know, where were you? I know exactly where I was. When I was in Baltimore, it was uh, uh, Rob Ford smoking crack. <laughs> that was <awesome. laughs> I was like, wow, that big news down here? That's pretty good. Fair enough. <laughs> but I remember. But you remember where you were. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, in order to, like for anybody that, that doesn't know you and doesn't know mm. what you've accomplished, um, you rapidly, within the first three years, climbed to the top echelons mm. of, of Sandler. Like, thank you. Um, unbelievable. Like, thank you. And, and well, well noted worldwide. Mm. The name Hamish Knox is known globally, and it is. You know, um, because what you've achieved is people just look and they shake their damned heads like, <laughs> "Who is this guy?" <laughs> and um, I've heard you being described as a prospecting machine. Uh oh. Uh, what I've found is that. Um, that doesn't come from the ethers. It doesn't come no. from, from cracking a book. It, 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 it has to come, uh, at least, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, from a kick-ass upbringing mm. uh, where whatever your upbringing was filled you full of confidence that I can do this. Mm -hmm. Is that the case for you? Yes, although, as my parents uh, said early in those first three years, they're like, we just, we don't really know what you do. Like, entrepreneurism does not run in my family. Yeah. Um, you know, both of my parents, uh, you know, my dad is a public health inspector. My mom uh, was a special education assistant working with very, very um, developmentally challenged uh, elementary school children, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, you know, they were both in unions, very liberal parents, but both in unions. So, you know, entrepreneurism is not not what we do, um, but they just said, we think you're in sales. I'm like, good, that's what I am. I'm an entrepreneur, yeah. which is sales. So yeah. just think I'm a sales guy, that's fine. But I grew up on a farm. 
Right. And you know, it was a hobby farm. Both my parents worked full time and ran a, and, and ran a farm. So when you're on a farm, uh, accountability is kind of a big thing because if you don't feed the animals, they die. And I've noticed that if you don't take the you know if you don't take the uh, the crops out of the field, they rot, and then you have no food. And you're bankrupt. And you're bankrupt. Yeah. So uh, you know it 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 was instilled in me from a from a very early age of you know you got to work to the job, not to the clock and uh, to be very intrinsically motivated. So, and then when I got into uh, high school and into university, I was a journalist. And again, journalism is the same sort of thing. If you don't submit why, your why story. Why journalism? What was it about journalism that had you go, I'm gonna try that? I like words. I really, when it comes down to it, I started listening to like George the, Carlin when the, I was eight. The, the, the wordsmithing part of it? Yeah, I just I just like putting words in, in combination. Like the understanding of the the etymology, the you know where did that word come from? Mm. Um, I'm a very uh, I am very passionate about learning different languages. Um, I, I speak four of them, little bits of them, very badly. Um, <laughs> and you know I'm teaching my my uh, my two girls a little bit here and there because uh, neuroplasticity wise, from a early childhood education standpoint, they can their their brains will develop more if they're hearing languages other than English. So. I love I love words. How and many kids you got? Two, two and girls. How old are they? Uh, just about six and a half, and will be four in February. Do you use Sandler on them? Of course, <laughs> of course. Um, and someone, one of my clients, who's a good friend of mine, uh, this is a couple of years ago, right after my first was born. And they said, "Yeah, so you you going to use this stuff on your kids, right?" And I said, "Oh yeah," and I'm going to completely screw them up. <laughs> like I fully understand that. Like I know all the stuff, and I'm still going to screw up my kids. So I, I, I've already got the therapy fund in, in place. It's all good. Um, they looked at me. I was like, I'm kidding. Come on. But really, when you're looking at human beings, everyone's different. Yeah. And and but if you take your yourself out of it and look to support them instead of get your own emotional needs met, you're gonna have a much better relationship with anybody. Is there any? Um, uh bits of Sandler uh, of, of the system or the add-on learning that uh, uh, that you like to do on a regular basis as a for instance mm -hmm. I, I love teaching disc sure because the um, the four personality types what I have found is that the more you understand them in yourself is yeah. where it starts and in and you then you develop that self-awareness of, right. of who you are and why certain things bother you and other things don't totally um, then you're able to spot it in others yes. after and once you do, um, like say the most difficult people in the world, uh, if you if you don't have the training or the D's, mm. the, the dominators. Right. But if you know, mm -hmm. they're actually the easiest. Oh, I totally. Think. You find uh, oh, absolutely. Well? So, are there, is there any chunks like that that you like to have? Like, I, I also loved IR theory, yeah. identity role theory. Are there any chunks that you uh, teach on the side, or does it all stay within the system? Oh no, no, not at all. I uh, uh, one of my clients uh, trained me or hired me to train Sandler. Sandler across their entire organization software company mm -hmm. and clearly we're not going to be teaching them about you know paying budget decision you know the the qualifying steps but upfront contract the, the one you said are there any bits that you take out upfront contract is something that anybody can apply yeah. any situation I tell a story in my room which it it doesn't sound very nice but I said when I first learned Sandler and again I learned Sandler before I went to my initial training I would use upfront contracts when my wife would ask me to go shopping mm -hmm. and it made the shopping trips a lot better for both of us because you know the audience has probably already figured out I'm a D I'm fairly direct and I shop like SEAL Team 6 as a mission 
right? Like in, out, get, go. And my wife doesn't do that. She shop, she likes to browse. She likes to, and, and sometimes she goes to stores and doesn't buy anything, which is a foreign yeah. concept to me. And, and so once I learned the upfront contract, we could have a mutual agreement as to what are we trying to do here? And so both of us would leave the shopping center in a much better state of mind, much better place emotionally, because we both knew what was going to happen yeah. and how long we were going to be there and what we were going to do after I knew what my role was. Cause as a guy, I want to solve problems, right? That all, all men like to fall into problem solving, but I, with an upfront contract, I knew I didn't have to problem solve because yeah. she had the idea in her mind. I was there to support. I was there to say, you know, the blue one instead of the red one, or, you know, I think I like that one a little bit better. Um, or my role was to go wait at Starbucks until she was done. <laughs> When uh, my first uh, and hopefully last divorce happened, um, uh, the, the kids went through a really difficult period mm -hmm. and just unruly, no mm. matter what I did. But I started using upfront contracts before we got out of the car nice. to, to go to the mall or Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. Right. What a difference. Absolutely. And then, but we would do a new one. I do an upfront contract to get from the car to the door of the mall. There you go. And then from the door of the mall, okay, before we go any further, and we set up the rules <laughs> totally. to go from here to there. Totally. And then once we get there, one more, like would take a few. Totally. But um, a complete difference. Absolutely. Because there was no surprises. Yeah. There's so, no surprises. And it occurs to me that uh, the number one human emotional need being affirmation mm -hmm. also gets met because when you use an upfront contract, you're actually hearing the other person and totally. they're hearing you. Right. Uh, therefore the frustration's gone. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other one that I, that, uh, that I'll, I just used last weekend actually is the okay, not okay theory. Mm -hmm. And it actually had to do with my eldest. Um, and my eldest and my youngest were coloring at the table and my youngest said to, to my eldest, well, can, can you show me how to whatever they wanted to draw? It was a house or a tree. I can't remember what it was. And my eldest went over and said, Oh, this is really easy for me. And then showed, her sister how to do it. And I said, you know, I really appreciate that, that you showed your sister how to do that. Can I share something with you? And, and my eldest said, sure. And I said, when you say it's really easy for me, you make the other person feel not okay. And they, of course they're six and a half, so they're not really cognitively there yet, but like, they kind of looked at me and said, well, here's the thing, just show them how to do it. Don't, don't add in this extra layer about how it's easy for you because all that's doing is making you feel better and making them feel worse. And yeah. it's not something that you need to do. And they went, okay, dad. And whether it's sank in or not, I have no idea. I'll probably find out when they're 13. Yeah. Um, but that's another one is, you know, Sandler said, always let the prospect or the other person preserve their dignity, right? They're another human being, allow them to be another human being with respect and dignity and what we call equal business stature. Yeah. Uh, what do you have to say about uh, the people that think sales training is learning how to manipulate people? Yes, 110%. Because manipulation is about, uh, the definition of manipulation is to use skillfully. Right? Mm -hmm. So when we are driving, we are, you know, if you want to talk about driving, we're manipulating our car. Uh, when we are writing, we're manipulating words. And we believe though that people buy for their reasons not our reasons or the salesperson's reasons so is it manipulation to uh sell something to someone without discounting um that gives them the outcomes that they expected maybe 
but that person who bought the thing is amazingly happy. The salesperson who sold it is amazingly happy. That seems like a win-win. What I'm not okay with is the win-lose type selling. Right. And where a salesperson goes in, and this is the, you know, um, drug dealer versus the doctor. Exactly. And and the the you know the when the budget question comes up, hmm. and and prospects being reluctant to share budget information because they probably have an experience or they've heard from a colleague of theirs about how they told the salesperson that their budget was $40,000 and the salesperson's stuff was 28 grand, but magically it all of a sudden became 40 grand. Right. So, you know, that's a win lose. And what we, we teach our clients is a professional asks for what they need and an amateur tries to take all they can get. Right. So if you're a professional and your stuff is 28 grand and they got 40, tell them it's 28 grand. Yeah. Don't, 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 don't be doing anything that's a win-lose. Well, any weapon can be used for good or, or harm. Um, with, uh, like the murder weapon is not a gun no. or, an, or a hunting knife. Mm. It's a kitchen knife. Weapon of opportunity. Or a weapon of opportunity or a ball-peen hammer. Right. You know, um, and, but you don't walk into the hardware store and, and, and shriek in terror at the framing hackers. Right. You know, but yet uh, they are responsible for all kinds of deaths. Of course, and it's it's a tool, and used properly, it's a great tool. Absolutely, but any tool can be used unethically. Totally, totally, and that's where a lot of uh, I published an article about this recently uh, on LinkedIn about how a lot of training, and whether it's sales training, management training, leader training, customer service training, doesn't matter. Training in general is really laying out a selection of hammers and saying, okay guys, test out each of these hammers and pick the one that feels best to you. And then the person picks up the hammer that feels best to them and then they just go around and they bash it, the hammer into, into everything that they need or every one they meet. And eventually they find someone who's like, yeah, that I'll, I'll go with that. And a lot of times they break a lot of rapport and they hurt a lot of relationships. We really believe in interchangeable plastic blocks. Okay. Right? So you know, we're gonna give you a box of interchangeable plastic blocks because selling, management, interpersonal communication is all situational. And there is no magic bu bullet like you, you alluded to earlier. A lot of people are looking for the magic bullet. They're looking for the save us moment. There aren't any save us moments. All there are is these interchangeable plastic blocks that say, okay, well, given what I know about Mark, I'm gonna take these three plastic blocks and my first conversation is gonna be, I'm gonna use these three plastic blocks. And then Mark wants to keep talking. So the next time I see him, well, the first two plastic blocks don't apply anymore, but I'll take the third one and I'll use that as the base for I next. And then all I want to do is build a tower along the way using these plastic blocks that gets us to a mutually agreeable place, which maybe we're not a good fit to work together. Would you agree? I, I uh, said years ago, and I don't know if you would agree with that, but um, sometimes I like asking people, what, what do you think the definition of sales is? Mm. And for me, it's, and, and, like you said before, um, uh, if it's a win-win, right? Right. Um, but for me, the definition of sales is just the truth. Yeah. And a good salesperson is the most curious that does the most investigation. Amen. And um, uh, like a doctor does, totally. you know, at least a good doctor. Yeah, very good. Doctor. The best doctors are the best diagnosticians. Mm -hmm. The people that are the best at investigating what's going on. As more information you collect, the better decision you can make. Amen. And um, uh, so. For me, the definition of sales is just the truth. Mm -hmm. And maybe the truth is we shouldn't do business together. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Or uh, maybe the truth is we should do business together at 
uh, price point X, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Exactly. Um, how would you define sales? Uh, very similar. And we, I just did a, a speaking engagement this morning for a CEO group. And, you know, we said, you know, sales is all about ABC. What's ABC? And always be closing. And, and that's really not the case. It's ABQ, which 